Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell. I'm Stephen. And I'm Paul. And this is a podcast about storytelling. You need to get up. Get up, Rob. Your body can't be laying in the middle of the street like this. It was a Tuesday afternoon last October. The sun was out. There was a light drizzle. It was a warm fall day. And I found my body sliding down the middle of Young Street at around 50 kilometers per hour, my head hitting the pavement as I flew off my Yamaha. It would be my second concussion in under two years. And it happened just as I finally felt like I was getting over the first. I grew up riding motorbikes at my grandpa's farm in Saskatchewan. I loved them. The first time I got one, I was maybe five or six. The engine was idling and, to keep me steady, my dad was on my left and my grandpa was on my right. Now, gently ease the throttle, Robbie. I twisted it as far as it'd go and started doing laps around the farm. They eventually gave up trying to chase after me. When I was old enough to ride a motorbike on the road, my parents forbade me from getting my license. In fact, my dad knew me so well that when I moved to BC for law school, he made me promise that I wouldn't get one. He even used the cancer card. When your terminally ill father makes you commit not to get a motorbike, you choose your words carefully. Dad, I promise I will not get a motorcycle. A week later, I was in BC riding a scooter. <laughs> With the ocean and mountains in front of me and the sun shining, I'd turn that thing full throttle and this giant smile would come across my face. So when I finally started to come out of my first concussion, I asked myself, what makes me happy? Getting my motorcycle license from Ontario was an easy decision. That first concussion two years ago was tough. I had a meeting scheduled with an MPP to lobby him on my nonprofit's climate change work. It was December 16th, 2016. His office was in the East End. I lived in the North End. With a whoosh of air and the sound of wheels screeching on tracks, I knew the subway was pulling into my station. So I started to run. As I rounded the corner to take the steps down the platform, I slipped. The first point of impact was the left side of my head against a metal railing. I found myself laying on my left side, dazed, looking down the stairs as the subway doors slid open. At the time, it looked like there might be bipartisan support behind closed doors for my bill. The meeting was important to me. It was about climate change. So I pushed myself up off the ground and ran down the steps, taking two at a time. The door slid shut just behind me. I made it. But when I sat down, I just felt weird. Should I go to the hospital? A friend who got a concussion from a car accident earlier that year told me that he began to slur his words afterward. I covered my mouth with my hand to check. Hi, my name's Rob. I'm a lawyer that runs this environmental nonprofit. We're asking politicians. Sounds fine. I dusted off the left side of my body and went to the meeting. When I got there, I told him about my accident, told him I was feeling weird, pointed to where I hit my head, and asked him to call an ambulance if I passed out. I then launched into my pitch <laughs> to secure his support for the climate bill. After the meeting, I stopped at a nearby coffee shop to collect myself. Halfway through my coffee, I realized something was definitely wrong, and I went straight to the hospital. What followed was this nonstop headache dizziness, and aversion to lights, and I constantly felt on edge. A week and a half later, I found myself in my kitchen, lights off, blinds drawn, and on my knees, both hands pressed against the sides of my head, 
with this pain I'd never felt before. I wound up in an emergency room. The triage nurse took my info. My name's Rob. I hit the left side of my head a week and a half ago while running for the subway. I've been feeling headaches, dizziness. He cut me off. Someone came in who was apparently bleeding pretty bad. Hold on, he said. I'll be right back. He returned a few minutes later. Okay, pick up where you left off. My name's Rob. I hit the left side of my head about a week and a half ago while running for the subway. I've been feeling... Stop. You know you told me this, right? Uh, no. I couldn't form short-term memory. It was Christmas Day, and I found myself laying on a cold table that was slotting my body into place for a scan of my brain. Later that night, I wondered, I used to love being in court and cross-examining opposing counsel's witness. I always thought if this environmental advocacy thing didn't work out, I could always go back to that. But if I'm having trouble following a conversation, if I can't form short-term memory, can I do that again? In the months that followed, I could barely read. It required a level of focus that I just didn't have. And I didn't tell people. I was too embarrassed. The constant dizziness and headaches meant that I couldn't exercise. I lost muscle. My body looked and felt different. The book I was writing was taking me forever. I just had such a hard time being on my laptop. The advocacy I was doing, uh, I couldn't do it anymore. It took a dive. I felt like I couldn't do anything, so I withdrew. I was less social, stopped dating. Who would even want to date me anyway? My confidence, my sense of self-worth, gone. And the world just felt wobbly, 24-7. All the while, I kept hearing, but you look fine. Studies show that the rate of suicide in people who have experienced a concussion is significantly higher than that of the general population. Some of this, I'm sure, is from the emotional fallout of it all, but some of it is just something happens to you when you hit your head. During sleepless nights, I would lay in bed thinking of a sharp knife that was in my kitchen drawer. For weeks, I'd have to glue my back to the wall while waiting for the subway. Standing in the middle of the platform or close to the edge, the pull was too strong. But I hung in there. My symptoms gradually lifted. I think that's why I was so happy that day last October. Sure, I still had the odd lingering symptom, but I had mostly recovered. I was finally feeling like myself. The advocacy I was doing had won awards, both in Canada and abroad. I had just sold my home a few days prior, and my plan was to spend the next two months before closing looking for work in the climate field. In fact, that very day, I was riding to a library downtown to finish creating an online portfolio. I wanted a job where I felt like I would be having an impact and I had just up anchor, ready to move anywhere in the world to do it. That warm fall day, riding down Young Street, I finally felt hopeful. The last thing I remember thinking is, oh fuck, she's not stopping. The following are excerpts from an email that a witness sent to the investigating police officer. I was traveling immediately behind the motorcycle when the accident happened. 
We were heading southbound on Young, just south of Lawrence Avenue in the curb lane. As we were heading south, a car parked on the west side of Young pulled out unexpectedly. The female driver did not look, or if she did, did not see the motorcycle. This forced the motorcycle to make an emergency maneuver, sharp turn to the inside lane to avoid the car, and given it was wet, the motorcycle slid and the rider fell off into the inside lane going southbound. He was lucky to be alive. For me, there were a few seconds of darkness, quiet, but also this feeling of a really hard thud. And then there I was sliding down the street. When my body finally came to a stop, I turned, instinctively raising my arms to protect my face from the car behind me. It braked to a stop just a few feet away from me. And that's how I found my body, laying in the middle of Young Street on a warm fall Tuesday afternoon. You need to get up. Get up, Rob. You can't be in the middle of the street like this. My back hurt. My neck hurt, my legs hurt, and everything in the world was moving so slowly. But I got up. I limped to my bike that was laying on its side, engine still running, hit the ignition kill switch, hobbled over to the curb, and gently lowered myself to sit. I took off my helmet. I was breathing fast, my heart was racing, but everything around me felt so, so slow. A woman who was walking on the sidewalk approached me. She asked, are you okay? I carefully turned my head to look up at her, processing those words. Are you okay? I replied, I don't know. And as I heard those words crawl out of my mouth, the pace of my speech, I just knew. I knew it instantly. And I started to cry. All of my symptoms would come back. And I'd spend the next month with the curtains drawn shut in my now empty home. That was almost five months ago. And while I've come a long way, I have this constant pressure in my head. The world still feels wobbly. And I sometimes worry if I'll ever get better. A few weeks ago, I was having lunch with a friend and her child. They were sitting on a colorful carpet with ABC written on it in big block letters. So I started to sing to her little boy. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I stopped. I couldn't remember what came after G. I was flooded with embarrassment. How could I not know the alphabet? I know that I know the alphabet, but what comes after G? I just started to make up words to the tune, like what I did was intentional, hoping my friend didn't notice. All the while I was wondering, what have I done to my brain? What are you supposed to do when the things that make you, you, get stripped away? When I was an undergrad, I'd make it a game to get straight A pluses on my report card. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> These guys can, can attest to that, right? Uh, when I was in law school, there were some courses where I'd skip every single class just to walk along the ocean and stare into tidal pools. I then crammed the night before the 100% final and still end up with a B plus. Before these two concussions, I was giving talks on climate policy and lobbying governments across North America. Could I still do that? Will I get better? And if not, if that's no longer me, then who am I? 
more practically, if I can't spend too much time on my laptop, if I have this constant pain in my head, an inability to focus, mental exhaustion, what about work? What do I have to offer? What is my worth? But when I think about what I value in others, it's none of that. It's kindness. When I was sitting on that curb and started to cry, the woman who asked if I was okay, she took my hand and she held it. I can't describe how comforting that gesture was. She stayed with me, holding my hand until the ambulance took me away. It's qualities like compassion, empathy, thoughtfulness, and humor that matter. And I believe I have those. And I have to believe that at my core, I'm still a person with lots to offer this world. So, while I'm not exactly sure what's next, I do have some ideas, but that's a story for another time. The one thing I do know is this. These concussions have shown me something about myself, and it's something that gives me hope. When I hit my head against that metal railing, I got up. When I hit my head against that pavement, I got up. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Thank you. Okay, so today on the show, we're talking about one of my favorite people, Rob Shirky. That's true. Uh, good man, Rob Shirky, friend of the show. Yeah, and I was not saying that. He's going to think that I was saying that I had maybe a slight sarcastic tone to my voice, and I am going to just cut that off of the past and say there was absolutely no sarcasm at all in you, that. Real real friend of Paul Doors is Rob Shirky. Yeah, yeah. Love the guy. Uh, he's been a great supporter of ours, and we always love to have him on the show. Yeah, so uh, with that, he did tell a fantastic story. Yeah, it's great. Um, and, and what we're doing here is we're taking bits of the story that we found interesting, uh, or things that we thought could provide some insight or conversation around. And this one is telling a story that you're still in, mm -hmm. you know, and I think especially when you tell stories like this one, that's sort of, you're never out of, you know, we often say, don't tell a story you're still in, right? That's very consistently advice we give. Well, you know, I, I'll, and I'll, 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 can I, I'll, I'll amend that. Sure. Push back, push back, Paul. Well, uh, generally speaking, I think that is true, um, because. But I think some people that have. Okay, whatever. I'll 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 put it on me. Is that when I've done that once or twice, I feel like if you can articulate to yourself, like have some kind of awareness. So like uh, Rob had uh, an insight as to where he was and, and, and could articulate the story of what happened to him in these accidents. Uh, I, I felt like he was in the story, but kind of still understood where he was at that point in time when he was telling the story. Right. So I guess you're saying that it's, that as long as you know, like, so if you're in the story and you can't tell and you're not aware enough to know where you are, that's when it goes off the rails. But if you know where you are and you're, and you're, although how do you know? But anyways, but it, you sort of think if you have an insight about why you're telling the story and then, then it's a little more safe. Yeah. And I, and, and that I think if you go in, uh, with the awareness that 
you might feel certain feelings mm. again that will be uncomfortable. And you, because uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, but just, um, you know, like if somebody is, I, I know we've said, we've seen stories like this, or I can't think of somebody right now, but it's like they're talking about, say, a relationship that ended. And you, you realize very early on that it's like, oh, this person is not, not over. They're it. not over this yet. And oh, yeah. so I mean that you don't have to be over it, but to me, you, you're, it, it, I don't know how to explain the tone of the story, like what happens, but it's different. Like it's, you feel like, oh, this is not, it turns into like, they're mad at the person or they're bitter or whatever. They're not like able to contextualize their experience as much. Well, and I think there's a, maybe a bit about if you're, if you're still processing and have no outcome, Right. then that's when it's dangerous, right? Because then you're just live processing. Mm-hmm. And and you, I think you want to avoid live processing in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if, you've, if you're still processing, but you have some outcome, you've gotten some insight to this. Mm-hmm. And you sure know you're in, you're still in it, but you've got, you know, you still have a bit of a thing, right? You know, you know there's something else, you, there's something else that's come out of it. You're a, well, because like, if you go back to sort of the really basic idea of storytelling, about how someone comes in, something happens to them, and they're changed at the end. I think maybe the difference here is that if if you're still processing, you haven't changed at the end. Mm. And and maybe and whereas if you've you know in this, as an example in this story, you know Shirky has had some understanding, and has had some uh, piece of of realization, mm-hmm. and and in that he's changed at the end, even if he might change again more, right? Even if there's well, more to change, there's still a, a closure in the fact that he's he's come to something. And, and I, so I had a writing teacher, um, a while ago and she was, oh, she said, what was it? She said, oh, you want to write, uh, from, you want it to be a scar. You don't want it to be a wound. Mm. I kind of call bullshit on that <laughs> in, in certain circumstances. And, uh, in, in Rob's case, I feel that was the point of his story. Right. So that to me, what it was about. So he knew very clearly um, why he was telling the story he was because to, to me that was what what it was about is that I'm like these things have happened they're in the past they have happened in the past but I'm still not there yet yeah yeah and he sort of took the fact that he was in it as the conclusion of the story right the, the fact that and, and in some ways I think that's what's interesting about this kind of story is that I don't, you know, it's the kind of thing that you don't ever know if you're ever going to be entirely no. out of, right? You know, there's always the moment you can have a backlight, always, you know, especially with, you know, this is not a chronic illness, but I think chronic illness would, would serve similarly, which is that the story isn't ever exactly over. Mm-hmm. It's this chapter of the story might be over, or, you know, there's like maybe a little bit of a closing and, and a reopening of the next step, but you're, you're not, you can never really say, I'm done. You know, and I am not a medical professional. Hmm. Uh, I know maybe there's those of you out there that thought I was. I, I, we have previously billed you as Dr. Paul. Call yeah. in to the, our number and let us know what Dr. Paul can suggest for you. So I understand that this is not good. I'm not saying medical advice, but the, so I basically did, I did a similar story where I had a concussion. I know all of the things that he was experiencing. And um, I told a story a month later. So I was not, you were not over it, it yeah. at, at yet, but honestly, I just find concussions are really complicated things and they're, they don't, they still, there's so many things they don't know about all this stuff, but I really, 
and I think that um, a lot of people were really connected. They really connected to Rob's story, and I just feel that it's you know I think it's a it, it helps the as much as it help is a great story to the audience. To me, it also it helped me a great deal. I think it helped Rob a great deal. I don't want to speak to him, mm-hmm. but I but I think it did. To and that's why I think at the beginning I was like, well, not always. You you right. want to be totally over it because I feel like this stuff can actually help you, help you get over it almost in a way. Well, especially in a scenario where you've lost control. Yeah. So well, you know that's it's funny that you say that because for me that was exactly my reasoning for for doing it so soon after the accident is because everything I couldn't speak properly. I couldn't. You know, I was stuttering, I was searching for words, and I was like, no, I I was so self-conscious of speaking just to people one-on-one even that I was like, no, I need to do this because in some way it it allowed me to um, kind of not like move through that. Yeah. In, in a way. Well, and that's and that's really where 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 Rob goes in the story a bit, mm-hmm. right? Is that is that part of the story? It's about this concept of losing himself because he's losing his the, the these these types of faculties, mm-hmm. and and that in the process of being able to you know the telling of the story is the triumph almost. And what's interesting to sort of go back to the maybe my own dunking on my own original comment about not telling a story that you're already in. This story only works actually maybe if you're still in it. Because the triumph at the end is the fact that you're telling the story. You know, and it's so funny because I think it's also connects to, you know how we talked about before where uh, somebody telling a story about something that's happened and, and we kind of usually will say, well, it's, it's, but people are seeing you in front of them right now. So they, they, they know you're not that person anymore. Or they know you've gotten better or whatever. Or, yeah, or if there's like a murder, you're not going to get murdered. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like uh, for me, and I, I think um, part of or what I connected to in Rob's story is this kind of injury, you look like you're okay. Yeah. But you're not okay. And you can't, other people can't really see that unless you tell them that you're not okay and I, for me, and I assume I, I think so for, for Rob as well, is that it helps. It's, a, it's empowering in a way to be able to be like, I'm not okay. I look okay, but there's all these things that I need to still kind of work through. Uh, it's just, I don't know, there's something. He was, it's, he's being very vulnerable, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not an easy thing. And I, and I think that, you know, I, was, I was, thought he was great. I was really proud that he wanted to tell this and he really kind of went all in yeah what's i think important or interesting about this is that his that you spend your life while doing this trying to pretend you're okay right like so much of your life uh during these moments seems to be in in, as he described it you know trying to be okay Mm -hmm. and trying to convey okayness to the world Right, that's what you're trying to. You're, you're, like the the rest of your life uh, during these times when things are not okay is trying to convey okayness. And so to to spend a moment in time where you say when you admit to everyone you're not okay, is I think is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so speaking as someone who's experienced, uh, you know, something like this, and again, we don't have to talk about specifically concussion stories, but uh, but someone who's still in something a little bit, uh, they come to a workshop and and they say and they and they want to talk about this. What do you what do you say? 
what I find is that, uh, okay, you want to tell a story, you're still in it. It's going to get emotional. It's going to be difficult. So for me, what I do is I find these things that I have called emotional markers. Yeah, you. I, I, I was wondering what you're going for this, and now I, now I see. I'm going for it. Yeah. They're just things that like, okay, you get to a part in the story, and you want to go there, and you want to really convey that this is an emotional thing. So you want to do two things. You want to get, you do in a way kind of want to get lost in that emotion because you want to really get that emotion uh, of the emotional experience, convey it to the audience. But to me, what I've found so helpful is that you go, okay, I've got to go there. So this, and it could be a sentence, it could be an image, it could be a thing that happens, whatever, is that this is my way in. And then, you know, to the thing, whatever you want to talk about, go there, but then have an out. You want to have another out to be able to pull yourself back into the story. And I feel that that's been super helpful to me in order to just like, just know to be able to, because you're, you're allowing yourself, you're going, okay, I'm going to go there. Let's do this. But you kind of, you're, you have these things to be able to pull yourself out as well. Mm. And what would you do? <laughs> what would you say? Sorry. <laughs> Feels like I'm being attacked. Um, I, I think that the, the question, the, so I, I think what we have to know and what you have to know for yourself is, is do you know if you're, do you know if you're constructively out of it or not? Right. Do you, you know, are you feeling a need to tell something um, because you actually feel like there's something to say or, or are you still processing? And I think the question you have to ask yourself is, is that central point of how am I different? What have I learned? And if you, if you can't articulate, if you, if you can articulate, you've learned anything or if the thing you've learned is like, this person is a horrible person, uh, probably not there yet. Whereas if you can, if you know what you've learned and you feel confident in that, then I think you're probably free to go forward. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Visit storieswedonttell.org and like our Facebook page for more information about our monthly events. And for more stories, check out our book, available anywhere books are sold. This episode of the Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by The Lansdowne Cone. The Lansdowne Cone is a social enterprise out of Toronto that I love to use this space in October, and that was great. I don't know why I keep saying these weird endings. <laughs>